Now, here's a conversation that I can have with people who accuse me of being under a law. They're not. Because, see, here's what it really comes down to. You're not under the law. I'm under the law. Whose law is it? Whose law is it? It's not my law. I didn't write it. I didn't make it up. I read about it in the same Bible you read about it. So if I'm under a law and it's his law, then like Yeshua says, because see, the issue that he's having with them is they're not keeping the law of Moses that they claim to be under. And he's keeping the law according to Yehovah. And there's two different belief systems here. He says, you don't know him. How can he make such a statement? These are the religious leaders. These are the ones who are responsible for religion in the land, according to the instructions of the Most High. How can he say to them they don't know him? The same way I can say to some of these preachers out there, they don't know him. I can tell by what they're preaching. If you're preaching all these different messages that doesn't necessarily line up with what Yeshua taught and preached, then I would have to ask you, where are you getting your teachings from? Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. In the teaching, The Prophet and the Word on Trial, we witnessed the flagrant display of lawlessness, abuse of authority, and inhumane treatment against the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. All of the abuse levied toward Yeshua during an illegitimate facade of a trial was at the hands of the religious leaders who were supposed to be Jehovah's representatives, their armed guards, and the crowd of people. We witnessed several of Jehovah's commandments being violated by the so-called Torah-observant, law-abiding religious leaders that disqualified them from operating in their religious capacity. In this teaching, the illegitimate facade of a trial continues. After a guilty verdict by those overseeing the farce of a trial, Judas recognized what he has done with devastating results, and the trial proceeds to another stage in the conspiracy of the religious leaders. The message title in this podcast is Crucify Him. So, let's study. So, today, we are in that portion of Matthew where... We see how treacherous religious people can be. Last week, we talked about the prophet and the word being on trial. And we've watched this progression from the time Yeshua showed up after John all the way up into this particular point where knowing why he came, what he was sent to accomplish. He's now at that point to where it's about to all come to pass. We spent the time in the garden with him where he prayed. Uh, He prayed for himself. He prayed 
or before the garden, he prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for us, those who would believe on him from the testimonies of his disciples. And then we witnessed him in the garden as he was facing this cup that he had to drink, which we know is him ultimately giving his life as the savior of the world. So last week we witnessed, well, we've seen the display of lawlessness by religious people all the way up until this point. But last week it became flagrant in the teaching that we looked at and their abuse of authority, the way they violated the Torah, their inhumane treatment toward Yeshua, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, including their sin. And all of the abuse that was levied toward Yeshua during an illegitimate facade of a trial that was at the hands of the religious leaders. Now, what's interesting is today we get to see how the Gentiles play the role and in comparison to the religious leaders who were responsible for leading and demonstrating and being the example of righteousness in the earth to the people of Jehovah. They had sent these armed guards into the garden, apprehended Yeshua. He was arrested. We saw how, according to Torah, they were supposed to do things a certain way, but they didn't do things a certain way because of their motives and the way they wanted to do things. And so we saw that their behavior and their actions actually disqualified them from operating in any religious capacity, especially if they're going to consider themselves to be Torah observant or law abiding. And when I talk about law, I'm talking about Jehovah's law, because what we're going to see in this particular teaching, as we've mentioned in the past, that there is Pharisee law. There is Sadducee law, there is Roman law, and there is Jehovah's law. And we're going to see those laws, in a sense, play out in this particular teaching. In chapter 27, verse 1, after they had tried Yeshua during that night, in the morning, they all came together and the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Yeshua to put him to death. So they deemed him guilty and the penalty for the guilt, which they spoke about last week in our last week's teaching, they accused him of blasphemy. Now, according to the law, according to the Torah, anyone who blasphemed Jehovah, the penalty was, first of all, there had to be two witnesses and the death penalty resulted in death by stoning. For the crime they accused Yeshua of committing, he was supposed to be put to death by the entire community that witnessed what had taken place and they were supposed to stone him to death. Instead, they took matters to the Romans, not knowing that what they were doing was fulfilling a prophecy. See, Yeshua prophesied, folks. Now, I know we look at Yeshua's words, we look at them in red, but there was several prophetic utterances that he made, some that would come to pass 
during his life and others that will come to pass at his return. According to Leviticus 24, verse 16, anyone who blasphemes the name of Jehovah must be put to death. The entire assembly must do what? Stone him. Whether an alien or native born, when he blasphemes the name, he must be put to death. And this is what Yeshua was accused of in this trial. Last week, we looked at a particular example of a woman who was from the tribe of Dan who had married an Egyptian who had a son that did this very thing. Yeshua prophesied several times that his death would occur by hanging from a tree. (laughs) Now, these are his words. These are not mine. He said that he would be hung. He would be put to death. He would be lifted up. And this was the mode of death. And somehow that had to come to pass. This is where the Gentiles came in. But let me tell you, can I tell you something? It didn't require Gentiles to fulfill this because according to the Torah, if a person was to be put to death by hanging on a tree, then the body simply had to be taken down before the sun set. This is in the Torah. In John chapter three, verse 14, it says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. What is he saying? This is how he's going to die. This is how it's supposed to happen. When we know the story of Moses, Moses, when the children of Israel began to complain and murmur, the almighty sent venomous snakes amongst them. And Moses went to him to inquire as to what to do. And he said, you take a serpent of bronze hanging up on a pole and all who look upon it, will be spared, will be saved, will be, will be healed. Verse 15, John chapter three, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So Yeshua would be lifted up just like that bronze serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. And whoever believe in him will not perish. Just like those who believed by looking at that bronze serpent in the wilderness, they would not die. Similarity, but that's not the only place. John chapter eight twenty eight. Then said Yeshua unto them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then shall you know that I am he. So he's saying to them and he's saying to his disciples. And he said this in a, in a few places that after this happened, then what I'm saying to you now is going to come back to your mind. Then you're going to believe it. So I'm saying it to you now. I know you don't believe it, but once this happens, you're going to remember what I said. And then, so he says, then said Yeshua unto them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then shall you know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father has taught me, I speak these things and he that sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. And then in John chapter 12, verse 32, he says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. So it's very clear that Yeshua says that he's going to die by hanging, by being lifted up. This is how it has to happen. 
John chapter 18, 31. Then said Pilate unto them, take ye him and judge him according to your law. Now, what we're going to see here as we go through Matthew and connect the dots with Mark and Luke and John is that when they tried Yeshua, first of all, they took him to Annas. Then they took him to Caiaphas. They pronounced him guilty, guilty of death. And now they're taking him to Pilate. When they bring him to Pilate, Pilate's response is that, listen, don't bring this to me. You judge him by your law. This is what he says. Verse 31, take ye him and judge him according to your law. Now, the implication here is that they're going to judge him according to Jehovah's law, but he's speaking to them according to their law. What did they say? The Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That's a lie. Now, that the saying of Yeshua might be fulfilled, which he spake signifying what death he should die. You say, well, how can you be so blunt? Yeshua also prophesied that the Gentiles would take part in the crucifixion. <laughs> Matthew 20, verse 18. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. Now, this is what he's telling them before they go. And the son of man shall be betrayed. So there's Judas role. He's going to betray him unto the chief priest, the high priest there, and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. They'll condemn him to death, and then they're going to deliver him to the Gentiles. <laughs> this is what he's saying, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to beat and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Now, he's telling them all these things at all of these intervals, and yet, they're not going to realize it or embrace it or fully understand it until after it happens. Here's one of the reasons I believe it's always important for us to give godly counsel to our friends, our loved ones, our children, our mates, not for the sake of I told you so, because one could say that Yeshua is saying, listen, you know, when this happens, you're going to remember and it's going to be an I told you so moment. But that's not what he's doing. And that's not what we should do. But the point is, is that there's certain things that our children, our loved ones are not going to understand and fully comprehend until after what you have said comes to pass. You give them an instruction. You give them counsel. You tell them because many of us can see where a person is headed. And unless they change course, it's imminent. What the almighty did and what he does is his way of intervening in certain areas in our lives is by giving us instruction, even rebuking us, trying to correct our behavior or our mindset. Because if we keep down that path, the destruction or the damage is imminent. There are certain things we don't really comprehend if we're not bright. <laughs> I've made a habit after 
following my own counsel for so long is I need to learn from others. And the greatest example that I need to learn from is the one that is in this book called Yeshua. There are a lot of human examples. There are a lot of elders, wise people with experiences who want to give you counsel. The ultimate counsel is I have to remind myself over and over and over of who my boss is. You see, my boss is him. There are things that I do or say, or that he gives me that from another person's perspective would look off, would look wrong, would look bad from their perspective. And they would try to counsel me and instruct me. And my job is to weigh what they say to see what they're saying, whether or not it's godly. If it's coming from him and I'm not talking about they're giving scripture. I'm talking about if the counsel that is coming at me from an individual has been given to them in that moment for me by him. You see, people can tell you biblical stuff. They can quote scripture to you even. But the context of the scripture that they may be quoting you, they may not fully have a grasp. They just got a scripture. (laughs) And there are many who will take scripture and use it for private interpretation to make their point, just like churches have been doing for centuries. They'll take a scripture and make a doctrine. They will create holy days, holidays, and events, and then find scripture to support it, like Mother's Day. Now, Mother's Day is a good thing. I ain't knocking Mother's Day. But how do you support Mother's Day by the scripture? Here you go. Honor your father and your mother. Well, there's Father's Day and there's Mother's Day. But is that what the scripture say? No, that's not what it's saying. But that's how it's used. People will find scripture to support Christmas and Easter and birthdays and a whole array of stuff. And then throw scripture at you if you don't agree with it. That's human wisdom, human counsel, taking the word of God to use it to back up his counsel. When this is not a word from the mouth of the almighty that has been given to somebody to give to you. Now, when he gives you that word, you better hearken. You better listen. You better obey it. Why? Because he's speaking to you and he's using someone that he has sent. And your discernment, your job is to discern whether or not where they're coming from is from him or from them. This is why we judge. This is why we test spirits. Most folks aren't qualified to do it. Why? Because they haven't exercised their spiritual counsel their spiritual conscience, their relationship with the almighty walking in what he has instructed them. When you walk in what he has instructed you, you will see the outcome of it from your life. There's no question. 
the outcome of walking in his instruction will manifest itself in your life. So he says, this is going to involve the Gentiles. Verse two, Matthew 27. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. And this is what he said. I've sinned and that I've betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? So you, you betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? What kind of response is that? Now, what, what you see here is Judas recognizes his wrong. He recognized that he has done something that is wrong and their response should have been, <laughs> well, now that you've recognized that you have betrayed the innocent blood, then, you know, there's a manner of repentance. Uh, if you're bringing your gift, you go and you know, you, you get things right with the person, but no, they said, what is that to us? That's your business. Now, somebody find it's in Proverbs six things that Jehovah hates seven. That is an abomination. And, and what you're going to see in that list is all playing out in these past, in these verses. All of it. When you find it, you know, let me know. And, and I'm going to ask you to read it. It doesn't matter where we are when you find it. Could you turn on a the mic there for Sean to read it? Okay. Yeah, it's in uh, Proverbs 6.16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Now, you're going to see all this playing out. All of it. And it's not that these individuals are some stranger to the word of Jehovah, but I'll tell you something, when religious people make up their mind that they want to get something done and do something, they can ignore certain scripture and try to use other scripture. And I can tell you, you know, like that old Facebook post was, I could do all things in Messiah with the scripture out of context is people can find scripture to justify whatever it is they do. It doesn't matter. A person can find scripture to justify whatever it is they want to do. They can find scripture to justify fornicating. They can find scripture to justify adultery. They can find scripture to justify having a child out of wedlock. They'll find some way to appease what has been done and not take responsibility or acknowledge the guilt of their behavior. As a result of these things, one could even rejoice in their wickedness. Now, these individuals, they believe that as Yeshua said, you know, there's going to be individuals, that they're going to do things and they're going to think they're doing the Almighty a favor in doing so. 
we can get to a point in our minds, brothers and sisters, to where we can justify our behavior, even though our behavior may be wicked. <laughs> so Judas, he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. This is what demonstrates a potential lack of repentance. You see, it's one thing to confess one's faults. Just because a person confessed their guilt, confess their fault, and even demonstrate remorse, the actions afterwards will demonstrate whether it's true repentance. And a person may full well believe what they're saying at the moment. Now, I have been guilty of accepting a person's confession. And then they do something else, and not only do I see what they've done, but then I remember the stuff they did. Now, that doesn't make it right. That's the human nature to remember. And we can say all we want that the Almighty, when he forgives us our sins, he cast them as far as the east of, from the west, never to be remembered again. And we could even try to convince ourselves that we're like that. But only you know what goes on in your mind. You can put your best foot forward. You can put your best smile forward. But you know what's going on up there in that noggin. You may not let anybody else in there. You may not even feel right about what you're thinking and what you're feeling because there's been times when I've caught myself feeling and thinking things that even from my thinking I needed to repent because I wasn't thinking right. Now, I have no interest in doing what I'm thinking, but that mind will go places and think things. Verse six, and the chief priest took the silver pieces. Now, you sure? I mean, once Judas realized he threw them down in the temple, the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel. Now notice it didn't say it is written. It didn't say the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is written. It is not lawful. They simply said it's not lawful. So I went searching and I couldn't find where it was a violation to take blood money and put in the treasury. So my thinking is, okay, well, where is this? Where are they getting that from? However, and they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Now, they didn't put it in the treasury, but they spit the money. <laughs> right? So it was dirty money. They just had to keep it separated. <laughs> Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophet saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Now, these verses seems to reference two prophecies. One in Jeremiah verse seven, chapter seven, 32, it says, therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Topheth, nor the valley of the son of Hinnon but the valley of slaughter 
for they shall bury in Tophet till there be no more. So this became a burial place. Now, this became what we know as Gehenna. But when Jeremiah was speaking this, this had been a place where individuals had turned their backs on the temple of Jehovah and they had built high places in this particular valley. And in there, they were sacrificing even children. And this is in, in the valley of the son of Hinnom, which became the valley of slaughter, which became a place of burial. And Jehovah says that, you know, this place was so many bodies would be buried into this place that there would be no more room to bury anybody else. And you can read about that in Jeremiah. Now in Zechariah in chapter 11, it says, and I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price. And if not forbear. So they weighed for my price, 30 pieces of silver. And Jehovah said unto me, cast it into the potter, a goodly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now this is a mixing of two particular verses, passages, to justify or what, what Matthew is saying. And there you have it. Matthew 27, 11. And Messiah stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying, art thou the king of the Jews? And Yeshua said unto him, thou sayest. Now he didn't deny the allegation. He confessed. He says, you said it in another place. He says, that is correct but my kingdom is not of this world. And so he's going to go, he's not denying certain allegations toward him, but there are charges that are levied at him that are illegitimate. And he doesn't even respond to those. He doesn't even answer to it. See, some of the things that I have, you know, when, when somebody make accuse you of doing something, the tendency is to try to defend yourself. And as I've said a week or so ago, how do you defend yourself against a lie? If somebody lied on you, how do you effectively defend yourself against it? You can't because you got no proof. You don't have proof. Now, if they say you were at such and such a place at such and such a time on such and such a day, and you got a record that you were someplace else, then that that can prove that what they're saying is a lie. But most lies that people tell aren't necessarily provable. And so it becomes your word against them. And then don't let them get somebody to, you know, come in agreement with their lie. Now you got two witnesses or you got several witnesses. Now, you know, you're innocent, but how do you prove your innocence? It's hard to do. Why do we get into arguments with people who are telling a lie, trying to defend ourselves against the lie they tell? Because sometimes in your defense, you, you, you bring up other stuff that, you know, you might be guilty of. <laughs> trying to prove you ain't guilty of that. And the person said, well, you know, I might be guilty of some things, but that ain't, I'm not. Well, what are you guilty of, bro? Well, that ain't got nothing to do with this. Well, why did you bring it up? You see, the enemy has got all kinds of schemes to trip you up, to trap you. And the moment you go in that place, you've taken the trap or you've taken the bait. And there's a good chance 
you will be trapped. Pilate did not want to be bothered by the religious leaders envious and petty behavior. And so through their scheme, he therefore told them to judge Yeshua themselves. Yeshua was considered a malefactor, which is an evildoer, as we're going to see by his definition and the crimes he committed according to them. And then he said, judge him by your law. This is what Pilate told the religious leaders. Pilate then went out unto them and said, what accusation bring you against this man? They answered and said unto him, if he were not a malefactor, if he was not a criminal, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't have wasted your time by delivering him up to you. The fact that we brought him before you should be proof enough. (laughs) This is the argument. (laughs) That word malefactor. So what are they doing? They're accusing him of being an evildoer. Then said Pilate unto them, take ye him and judge him according to your law. And again, the Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Now, we have seen several places because we've pointed them out as we've gone along, how they made statements that are inaccurate, easily proven. When they say there's no such profit, there's no profit from that area. And we know that's not true. And they've made other statements to where we've proven and shown that the statements that they have made is incorrect. Now, imagine, well, let me, several laws are at play here. One, we've got Jehovah's law. One, we have, secondly, we have Roman law. And then we have Sanhedrin law. Because this whole chief priests, elders, and scribes, they're part of what is known as a Sanhedrin, and they now have their laws. Now, the way you would look at this is like this. We live in the United States of America. Those of us who live in the state of, of North Carolina, we live in the state of North Carolina. So we live in the United States in the state of North Carolina. And if you live in Charlotte, specifically the city of Charlotte. So what we've identified, we've identified three particular laws that all of us are under simply by living in one location. You're under the city of Charlotte law. Now, for those of us who uh, had to deal with some of the things that have come from, you know, the mayor's office here in the city of Charlotte, when they made specific mandates, it was Mecklenburg County wide, not North Carolina wide. And so the mayor and the city council make laws for the government, but then we also deal with county government. Notice you, you will have a city commissioner in some cities and a county commissioner in the same city. So you got Mecklenburg, we live in Mecklenburg County. You've got Mecklenburg County. If you live in Cabarrus County, if you live in a different county, then you're subject to the laws of those particular counties, depending on what city in that county you live in. And both of them have seats of government. Well, what do they do? They make laws, ordinances, in which to govern the people within that city, to govern the people within that county, And if you live in a township, then, of course, you're dealing with the township council. But then you're dealing with the state because the state now is making laws that are statewide that goes down to the county, that goes down to the city. And then, of course, the state is underneath the federal government. And many of you are going to see this when you're dealing with the taxes because we're in that season. 
that you have to file federal taxes and then state taxes are attached to the federal taxes. And if you own property, the county taxes, you already had to pay this past month. And then, of course, if you live in one city and work in another city, you got to deal with the city taxes, the state taxes and the federal. So these are the different laws that we're under here. The children of Israel in this particular case, they're dealing with one, the ultimate law. And that's not to mention, brothers and sisters, we have all this fed state, city, county government. But then we have Jehovah's law that is over all of it. And so we now have to make some decisions. We're constantly having to make decisions that when the, the federal government, the state government, the county government, and the city government push its agenda on you as a kingdom citizen, if the agenda that they're pushing is in violation to the law that he's established, we have to make a decision. Here, Yeshua was not subject in the sense to them to the point to where he's going to violate the one who sent him. Now he understand that the chief priest has authority. He understand that Rome has authority. He get that, but he understand too. The ultimate authority is the one that he's going to have to give an account to. And so you've got Jehovah's law, Roman law, Sanhedrin or Jewish law, if you would, Pharisee and Sadducee. They said it was not lawful for them to put any man to death. Now, here's what I've heard in my churches. Some have argued that the authority to put someone to death has been stripped from the religious leaders by the Romans. Now, you won't find that in the Bible. And based on what they said, we don't have the authority. What did they say? It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Well, whose law are they talking about? Because they've already accused him of death or, or, or given him a death sentence. They've already accused him of blasphemy. Torah gives them the permission to stone him to death. But they said they don't have that authority. But let's examine that belief according to what is written. Because I'm going to show you in several places in the Bible during this same era. There are several places where the Pharisees and religious leaders seemingly had or attempted to exercise authority to put a man or woman to death by stoning. Remember in John 8, the woman caught in adultery. And then we're going to look at John 8 again further down where they were about to stone Yeshua. And then in John 10... And if they could have got their hands on him, they would have. And in John 11, when he says, hey, let's go back up to Jerusalem, the disciples say, hey, wait a minute. Don't you remember? There's some folks up there that want to put you to death. John 8, 1 says, Yeshua went into the Mount of Olives and early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst out of their hand, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that should be stone. But what do you say? What difference does what he say? If Moses in the law that you uphold commanded, then why are you even asking him? 
This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. Well, what are they going to accuse him to see if he's going to go against Moses? Now we got you. But Yeshua stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. So does this look like a situation where they did not have the authority to put somebody to death? No. Point number two, John chapter eight. Here they accuse him of being a Samaritan and having a devil. Are thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead, whom makest thou thyself? Yeshua answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. Now, here's a conversation that I can have with people who accuse me of being under a law. They're not. Because see, here's what it really comes down to. You're not under the law. I'm under the law. Whose law is it? Whose law is it? It's not my law. I didn't write it. I didn't make it up. I read about it in the same Bible you read about it. So if I'm under a law and it's his law, then like Yeshua says, because see, the issue that he's having with them is they're not keeping the law of Moses that they claim to be under. And he's keeping the law according to Jehovah. And there's two different belief systems here. He says, you don't know him. Well, how do, how can he make such a statement? These are the religious leaders. These are the ones who are responsible for religion in the land according to the instructions of the most high. How can he say to them? They don't know him the same way. I can say to some of these preachers out there, they don't know him. I can tell by what they're preaching. If you're preaching all these different messages that doesn't necessarily line up with what Yeshua taught and preached, then I would have to ask you, where are you getting your teachings from? If you can teach these things, With authority, where are you getting that from? If your services, as powerful and as anointed as you say they are, then we should find some kind of an example of a powerful and anointed service like you're having in the book. Shouldn't we? We should see people falling out under the power. We should see these anointings of people running and and doing all these things that that they do and, and get filled with the Holy Spirit and manifest in certain ways in their services as demonstrations of being filled with the Holy Spirit that makes them operate and everybody's everybody seems to understand this is how the Holy Spirit operates in this in this environment. Because everybody's doing it that way. How can you go in this environment and this is how the Holy Spirit manifests? You go in a different environment and the Holy Spirit manifests. Now, the Holy Spirit can manifest however he wants. But the moment you begin to say to somebody that this is the way the Holy Spirit manifests, 
And if you're not doing it this way, <laughs> that's not the Holy Spirit. And I would say, okay, well, I see the Holy Spirit in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John manifesting in Messiah. I see him teaching under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I see the apostles teaching throughout the book of Acts under the Holy Spirit. I see Paul writing about being filled with the Holy Spirit and all this. And I'm having a hard time finding those particular manifestations. And if you tell me this, this is how the Holy Spirit operate, then I should see some examples unless this is a modern Holy Spirit. And, you know, maybe God is doing a new thing. I'm just saying, because I can't judge that according to this. I have to abandon this to embrace that. Well, brother, you're being judgmental. You're being religious. You're being a Pharisee. Well, according to these Pharisees, they weren't keeping the law. Isn't it amazing? People associate you being Pharisee as a person that is trying to keep the law with the Pharisees of the Bible weren't keeping the law. And, and if you're not careful, you'll fall underneath that condemnation, especially if you don't know your scripture. And he says, listen, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. It's like, man, this dude is sure enough messed up in the head. Then said the Jews unto him, you ain't 50 years old. Not yet. Thou art not yet 50 years. I wonder how they chose that number. I never thought about that. I mean, you know, we think 30, 32, 33, 31 but they chose a different number. Thou art not yet. And it's not like they, you know, you're not even 40. That seemed like it had been more like it, but they jumped up a few years. You're not, thou art not yet 50 and you have seen Abraham. Now notice what he said. Your father, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. And they said, you're saying you're not. Are you saying you seen Abraham? <laughs> he was not talking about what he's seen. He was talking about what Abraham saw. Now, if they knew him and where he came from, they obviously would not have asked the question. You should have said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now they got him. Notice what they did without the authority of the Romans. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Yeshua hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. Now, what if he hadn't hid himself? They'd have had him because they was ready to kill him at that moment. And it wouldn't have been the first person that got killed in the temple. <laughs> Yeshua said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you again, John chapter 10, verse 30. And my father and I will one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Yeshua answered them, many good works have I shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for good work, we stone thee not. <laughs> In other words, they, they, you're a dead man. But for blasphemy. Why? Because the verdict for blasphemy is death by stoning. And this is what they accused him of. 
And because that thou being a man maketh thyself God, Yeshua answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. And if he called them gods, unto whom the word of Elohim came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say you of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest because I said, I'm the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, Though you believe not me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. Therefore, they sought again to take him, but he escaped. So we see even from these examples and there are other places, Matthew 27, 12, going back. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, hearest thou not how many things they witness against you? So Yeshua answered the question, are you the, let's go back to verse number. I know with the going back and forth, sometimes we get disconnected, but I just want to connect us. In verse 11, he says, the governor asked him saying, art thou the king of the Jews? And what did he say? Yeah. Now we get back to verse 12. And what do we see is, And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing because see, they accused him of other things and he didn't respond to those. Then said Pilate unto him, hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? Don't you hear? And Yeshua saying, it's like, those are lies. How do I defend myself against these lies? Now he didn't say that, but he didn't say anything. The question that he had an answer for He answered the accusations. We know they found false witnesses who gave false testimonies, which was a violation of the word. And so he wasn't lowering himself to their antics. See, the moment you lower yourself to the antics of others, you come underneath their spirit. The moment you lower yourself to them and now you are trying to defend yourself against accusations that they are making when you and your know know is not true. How do you defend yourself against something that you know is not true? One way is don't even talk to them. Don't even respond to it. Let it go. See, some people feel that if somebody, well, you know, if, if, if the right thing to do, the proper thing to do, you know, is if somebody asks you a question, give them an answer. If somebody calls you, answer the phone. If somebody writes you a letter, write them back. If somebody sends you a text or somebody sends you an email, respond. You see, it's disrespectful not to. It's like, Really? So you're supposed to respond to everything somebody say to you and everything somebody accuse you of, even though you know that uh, if that's what you want to do, then by all means, it's your life. So Pilate says, don't you understand? Don't you hear all these things that they're accusing you of? So here's some of the things they accuse you of one in Luke chapter 23, which, you know, is parallel to what is going on here in verse two, he said, and they began to accuse him saying, we found this fellow one perverting the nation. How is he perverting the nation? Cause he's teaching the word of God. 
about. Yeshua didn't come teaching anything else but what Father gave him. And they're saying with what Father gave him, he's perverting the nation. Do you know that that's what I get accused of? This is what people who believe that Sabbath is the day of worship, not Sunday. You can worship on Sunday, but it ain't holy. You can make it holy, but he didn't make it holy. So whatever holiness you attribute to Sunday, that's your holiness. He attributed his holiness to the Sabbath. He said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Right? So Yeshua is coming and he's giving them, he says, listen, I'm only giving you what he gives me. I didn't come here to preach my own message. I didn't come here with my own agenda. He sent me. I came. I'm here. And this is what he said. And they accused him because he did that of perverting the nation. And then forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. And then saying that he himself is a Messiah, is Messiah, a king. Now he confessed to that. He said, are you, the, are you the Messiah? Yes, you said it. Are you perverting the nation? He opened out his mouth. Are you forbidding to give tribute to Caesar? He opened out his mouth. Pilate seemed disinterested in two charges, zoned in on one accusation and found no fault with Yeshua. Because when he zones in on this accusation, we won't get into it here, but that's when he's going to find out that Yeshua is from Galilee because they're going to start talking. Yeah, he started this mess back in the Galilee. <laughs> and now he's brought all that nonsense all the way up here to Jerusalem. And Pilate finds, oh, he's from Galilee? That's Herod's jurisdiction. Send him to Herod. <laughs> so, he zoned in, he says, and Pilate asked him, saying, now notice the accusation, perverting the nation, forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, and that he is Messiah, a king. And notice what Pilate said. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You know, I, hey, it's like, hey, I've heard about that. I've heard about this. Are you him? And, and, and Yeshua said, you said it. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault with this man. So you accuse him of saying he's the king of the Jews. He admits it. That's not my problem. He's not king of the Romans. <laughs> now, could they? It's like, how are they going to prove? How are you going to prove he paid his taxes? I mean, I'm sure he didn't have a 1099 or, or a W-2. <laughs> How's he going to prove? You know, how is he defending himself against perverting the nation? Now, you'll find your lawyers who like to hear themselves, they will say, hey, well, tell me about this. You know, how is he perverting the nations? What, is he, what did he do? Well, he did this, this, and this. It's, it's, it just goes off into areas. And what was his response? No response. Can you come to a place in your life where somebody is accusing you of something you know is not true and you don't have a response? Does your lack of response make you look guilty? Now, I'm going to tell you, if somebody accused me of something, I don't know how to keep a straight face to that because it would bother me. And if my face change, 
my facial structure, my demeanor change, then that's an indication of something. What? Now you can read into all, all you want to read into what you just saw. Why you look like that? Answer me. See, that's a sign of you're guilty. Cause you look, your face changed when I made that accusation against you. You can't even keep a straight face. Some people, as my, my mom and them say, boy, that's a straight face lie. You can lie with a straight face. Some, some folks can do that. I know some. But some people, they got that tail. And if you know that tail, you know, when they lie, they, their eye glitch. <laughs> that's a lie. Anyway, Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. Back to Matthew. 27, 14. And he answered him to never a word insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. And what is he marveling at? He's marveling at the composure of this man that they have brought before me being charged by the highest court in the land, bringing it to me. Now, Pilate's got a dilemma. He's got a dilemma because he is overseeing a particular trial of an individual that had been found by the highest court in the land guilty. Had they settled the matter amongst themselves, that would be the end of it. But they brought it to Pilate and now Pilate has got to deal with an issue that he would rather not deal with it. And Pilate found no fault with Yeshua and then made an attempt to free him. But the religious people kind of forced his hand. In verse 15, it says, now at that at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would, and they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will you that I release unto you, Barabbas or Yeshua, which is called Messiah? <laughs> you see what he, he stirred the pot? But he admitted to being called Messiah. Pilate doesn't have a, a problem with him accepting that. The people does, but the people for the most part are being instigated by the religious leaders because many people believe that Yeshua was the Messiah. And here's where the pressure comes in. When you are pressured by your party, when you are pressured by your group, when you are pressured by the people that you are in alliance with, that you are in allegiance with, even though you believe the man is innocent, you join in with the forces that accuse him of being guilty. And if you stand up for what is right, you are considered to be a traitor. Next thing you know, you're getting censored. Next thing you know, you being excommunicated. Next thing you know, you being kicked out. Because you don't go along with the base. You don't follow the crowd. You can think for yourself and judge a matter according to righteousness. Not when you're in cahoots. Not when you're part of a group. Not when you've made allegiance. Not when you've sworn to the flag. Not when you've aligned yourself to a particular doctrine. Because the moment you align yourself with this, how are you going to stand up against it? Knowing that the people 
who want his head will be satisfied to take yours along with it. <laughs> How do you stand for righteousness in the midst of unrighteousness? Cause we are faced with that. Maybe not on the highest levels, but on the highest levels because the levels of what we can see doesn't even compare to that, which is unseen. And our struggle is not with what we can see because the temptation, the pressure, the force, if you are honest, righteous person upright in your judgment and your action, and you see unrighteousness taking place by the masses, but you know, if you stand up against the masses, then you will be condemned just like that, which they're condemning. And that is where the dilemma comes in. See, in some circles, not only can you not participate, you can't opt out. You see, the father set this thing up in such a way to where <laughs> if you join forces with them that are accusing him of guilty, you got to have a rock in your hand too. You're going to be just as responsible for throwing that rock at that person as everybody else. Now, can you do that in a, with a good conscience? It's not like you can hide your hand and not throw a rock because everybody's looking. You know, when people are rock throwing, they're looking for the folks who ain't throwing rocks. Why ain't you throwing a rock, bro? I ain't see you throw nothing. Oh, you just logged that thing. Like, you know, it didn't even. <laughs> That's the peer pressure. You got to go along with it or you don't look like you with it. Now, if you ain't with it, then we're going to get you out of here. But if you with it, come on with it. And this is where there are many situations and times where you may find you have to stand alone. Can you handle that? Pilate discerned the religious leaders were envious of Yeshua and said it. In verse 18, it says, for he knew that for envy, they had delivered him. They didn't bring him here because he's committed some kind of crime. They brought the man here because they're jealous. They're envious of him. Why are they envious? Because he's got a larger crowd than them. Because people are following him. Because people recognize his authority. Because people have seen his work. They've seen the power that he walk in. See, the person who walks in authority and power is not at the mercy of somebody who's just got a teaching a doctrine. If you have the authority of the almighty, then that authority should manifest itself. You should have something without your words to back up your authority. In other words, it should speak for itself. Unless people try to discredit your accomplishments. People try to discredit what you've done. People try to attribute what you've accomplished to something else. This is where the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit comes in. If that's the Holy Spirit, they're making that accusation. Whether you're self-made or you inherited your, your wealth. Well, what difference does it make? Right? You didn't do it on your own. You had help. Well, I guess everything you accomplished, you did it on your own. 
you didn't have no help with nothing. See, some of the arguments that people try to lobby at you, if you just turn it back on them, they realize the futility of their argument. But what happens is that people come at you with trying to put you on the defense to where now you got to defend their baseless accusations. If the accusations are baseless, why are you going into defense mode? Because the moment you go into defense mode, you know what you just did? They just effectively brought you underneath their spirit. Now you're trying to defend yourself, trying to save yourself against these accusations. See, what you and I should do is examine the accusations to see if they're accurate. If the accusations is accurate, there's no point in trying to defend it. Clean it up. If you're being accused of something you're guilty of, clean it up. Get it right. Make amends. Do the right thing. Don't try to defend that because it's indefensible. Trying to defend evil is indefensible. And you don't have to defend righteousness. Just walk in it. He knew they were envies. Pilate's wife had been shown in a dream. Yeshua was a just man, innocent of the crimes he'd been accused of and warned her husband. Now get this. You got two Gentiles, two pagans that are operating in more righteousness than the religious leaders who are self-righteous. Think about that for a moment. Verse 19, when he was sat down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him saying, have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I've suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. And so what is happening? While Pilate is being bothered by these religious leaders who he's already discerned is coming to them with the envy spirit toward this man that he don't want anything to do with. And he got bigger issues to deal with. And he's saying, listen, y'all handle that on your own. I got other things to deal with. It's the feast time. I got to figure out what we're going to do with this Barabbas or somebody we got to release. I got to release somebody because that's a custom. That's a tradition. And you all are bringing stuff to me that I got absolutely nothing to do with. And I know why you're doing it. So she's saying, and it's like the almighty, but he's already given Pilate the ability to discern. He see what their motivation is. And while he's dealing, you know, giving Pilate that, he's, he's, in the, he's in the room with Pilate's wife. Your husband is sitting on the judgment seat. He's about to judge an innocent man. Or he's got an innocent man before him. And Pilate's got to do something. He's got to do something. Because if he don't do anything, he's going to be judged as a weak leader. I'm going to tell you, that's a tough place to be to where you put in a situation to judge. And now, you know, you've just been brought. Imagine a person committed and convicted. See, Pilate has the power to pardon, but they kind of forced his hand and took that power from him. And what he tried to do is he was effective in putting it back on the people. When people are trying to get you to do something at their bequest, you got to figure out how to put it back on them. See, Pilate demonstrated some tenacity, some courage, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude 
that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Yeshua. Now, this is, this is one of the reasons why I encourage, you know, I protest in my own way. I address issues in my own way. I don't have to stand with 100,000 people to make a point. Some people feel they have to do that because they believe that there's strength in numbers, that if we get enough people to protest this issue, then maybe we can move the hand of government. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter how many people, what happens is that when you got crowds like that, all somebody's got to say is, boom, he got a gun. And you got, you got a problem. Or you got a, a group of people, charge them, charge them. And folks get stampeded. You can't control a crowd. Crowd control is virtually impossible when you got some motley crews, <laughs> some individuals bent on devil, devil, devilment, devilish. Let me wrap this up. It is a sad state of affairs when pagans seems to be most, more just in their judgment than those who claim to be believers. Verse 21, the governor answered and said unto them, whether of the twain will you that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, what shall I do with Yeshua, which is called Messiah? They all say unto him, let him be crucified. Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate then questioned the chief priests and elders. He questioned their judgment. He says, why? I told you I find no fault with this man. There is no evil that I can see he's done. And basically he's saying, you haven't convinced me of any evil that he's committed. I've judged him myself and I found no fault with him. So why should I condemn him to death? He refused to do it. But they cried out the more saying, let him be crucified. The chief priests and elders manipulated the people to push Pilate to do their bidding, to persecute an innocent man, just as their forefathers had killed the prophets. And can I tell you something? Religious leaders are manipulating and pushing people today, manipulating them to join them in protests manipulating them to go into certain areas and to make their cause known. Some are even telling folks to lock and load, arm yourself. They want to take back their country. <laughs> From what? From who? See, your responsibility, my responsibility, our moral obligation, and don't let anybody tell you anything different, is to live the way the Almighty said live, and to have his word on your mouth taking the gospel of the kingdom. And anybody who will listen, you've warned them. And anybody who don't listen, shake the dust and keep it moving. If people aren't willing to listen to the truth, and you're supposed to have the word of truth, then they've made their decision. And just like the world that have decided how it's going to address the issues of the sickness of the world today, the answer to what makes the world ill is found right here in this book. That's the gospel, the truth. That's what make men free. 
What happens here reminds me of what Yeshua taught back in Matthew 5 when he says, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. See, when you stand for what you believe is right, persecution's going to come. And it'll come from some of the unlikeliest places, from some people you would think it would not come through. And a lot of it is designed to catch you off guard sometimes. But you have to stand for what is right, even in the midst of whatever it is you're facing. Matthew 7, 27, 24, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, now he know that he can't win this. There's nothing he can do but that rather a torment was made, a tumult was made, he took water, and this is what he did. He washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just man. Imagine a pagan identifying that the Messiah is a just man, contrary to the religious leaders who is supposedly looking for the Messiah. How could Pilate see it and they not see it? And the Almighty dealt with his wife in a dream. And then so many others, because by the time you get to this moment, hundreds, thousands of people have put their faith in Yeshua. Even though his disciples have abandoned him, thousands and thousands upon people have put their faith in him. According to the testimonies we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why wasn't there a protest? Why didn't the people join together and protest the religious leaders' decisions? Because they were wrong. And the people went right along with it. And people are going right along with some stuff today. So he washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Yeshua, he delivered him to be crucified. This is probably one of the most unjust crimes ever committed in the earth. And yet it was ordained by the most high to set men free. Yeshua knew what he was up against. I pray that we can weather this kind of storm because I can tell you right now, brothers and sisters, if we're going to continue to pursue this path and stay on this walk, we're going to have to become tenacious and relentless because I would love to think that our best days are ahead of us. And from a kingdom perspective, they are. I'm very, very encouraged from a kingdom perspective. And I wish the world could see things from a kingdom perspective, but the world see things from a worldly perspective and religious people see things from a religious perspective. Imagine if you would, that starting next Sabbath, 
all of Charlotte honored the Sabbath day. Maybe just the people on your street or in your community. Imagine that. There was once a time that people honored the Sunday. At least they were forced to honor it because they couldn't go shopping. They couldn't go buy stuff. But that all changed. But can you imagine? If, if nothing else, just imagine every member of your family, just your family, just kept the Sabbath. Imagine what that would be like, your sons, your daughters, and they didn't do it because that's what you wanted. They did it because they believed it. Your wife, your husband, your sons, your daughters, it moves to your parents if they're still living, your siblings, your in-laws, their children. They used to be that way in the wilderness. Even though there were some stubborn hearts out there, but for the most part, that's how it was. And the day is coming when it will be that way again. But even in that day, there seems to be glimpses that if Egypt don't come up or whoever don't come up, there will be no rain as if the Almighty now is threatening folks like some folks has got the presence of mind that with everything that has been done, they still ain't going up to Jerusalem. And yet our best days are ahead. And so are our worst. And we have to be satisfied in one thing. And that is that we are committed and we are doing what we believe and know we should be doing according to the instructions that he has given us. That's where we're going to need to be steadfast, unshakable, unmovable, long-suffering, patient, enduring until the very end. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.